Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. To know everything that we put into this day in and day out, try our hardest. Um, nobody comes in in the game wanting or expecting expecting to lose. And um, for, for people to react that way when you're supposed to be a supporter um, and, and be with us through thick and thin, uh, th- that's tough. Credit to them then. Yeah, Oh, credit. Credit to them. <laughs> And look, that kind of came off as a joke. He was asked the follow-up question, do you basically do you really mean and he made it clear he really means that which was problematic to say the least. It took him 2 days to walk it back. It was only after the NBA Referees Association issued a scathing statement on Tuesday, not the NFL, not the NFL Referees Association, but the NBA Referees Association issued its statement. Dak Prescott apologized. The apology wasn't enough, Peter. Reportedly fined $25,000 for his comments, condoning, if not encouraging, fans throwing objects onto the field at game officials when unhappy with the performance of those officials. Obviously, that's a bright line. It was stunning to me that anyone would express support, acknowledgement, encouragement of that kind of thing. And I, I kind of think that 25000 isn't enough to send the message loudly and clearly that this kind of stuff can't be tolerated. I was really surprised. And it, it just, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be that surprised. I mean, I was really surprised at what Prescott said and did after the game. You know, to me, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, this is just symptomatic of the fact that, in my opinion anyway, I think Mike McCarthy needs to stand up in front of the team in his first meeting in the, in the offseason. And he's got to say, stop blaming the officials. Stop it. Stop it. Somebody put out on Twitter the other day, Mike, there are 14 penalties. 13 of them. You know, they had video of them. Every 13 were absolutely legitimate. And one was a little bit marginal. But the Cowboys are not getting cheap calls. Okay, they, I mean, look, everybody gets a bad call now and then. Everybody. But the Cowboys, you know, late in the year became a bunch of whiners. 
And that is unbecoming of any team, but particularly, in my opinion, a team led by a guy like Dak Prescott, who, in my opinion, is one of the ultimate stand-up guys, good human beings, good people in the NFL. And that's why I thought what he did after the game was really beyond the pale. I could not believe it. And, you know, you can't advocate for people throwing things at officials. I'm glad he finally came out about it but, and, and apologized for it. And he should apologize for it. Um, and as for how much the fine is, 25 or 50, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know really what the big deal is. It doesn't really matter. It's very symbolic. But to me, I just think the, they've got to turn over a new leaf and start looking at what they do, not how the yes. outside world is persecuting them. They have become very good at externalizing blame. It's never their fault. All the penalties. They're right. mad about the penalties. Well, don't commit infractions of the rules and you won't be penalized. These aren't phantom fouls that are being thrown. You are you are breaking yes. the rules and those are the consequences. They're not going to look the other way just because you have a star on your helmet. And, you know, that that's the, 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 all of the noise coming from Prescott or Mike McCarthy after the game about the last play. It's your own damn fault. Get out of the umpire's way. Tell the umpire before the yeah. play, hey, you, you, we're going to run here. You better be ready to get down there and spot the ball. And then move your ass. Get out of the way. What did they expect? They expect him to jump over top. They expect him to shoot through Dak Prescott's legs. That's the most important part of the play. What other play is there in football? where the most important part of the play is what happens when the play has ended. The most important part of that play was to get out of the way. But no, it's somebody else's fault. No, the official screwed us on this. No, the umpire should have gotten down there. Baloney, baloney, baloney. It's on the Cowboys. And there's this defect, and I don't get it, Peter, where they expect the rules and the application of the rules to be skewed in their favor. And they expect everyone to go above and beyond for them instead of them taking care of their own backyard. It, it's, it's amazing to me that that's what the Cowboys have become. You know, in, an, in, a, in a related note, I thought it was really interesting what Mike Pereira said, you know, the former vice president of officiating in the NFL. I thought it was really interesting what he said on the Rich Eisen show. And he made two points. Number one, understand that the reason why the umpire was, a, was late, kind of late in getting there, is because the umpire starts from 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he has to catch up on a play like that. It used to be that umpires used to be middle linebackers. And so, and they moved the umpire from there for two reasons. Number one, offenses were using umpires as legal pick play guys, you know, as, as, you know, just run your defender into the umpire on crossing routes across the middle. And it was also because they were quite frankly, just in the way too many times. And it was too dangerous for them to be there. They were getting, they were getting plowed over. So they moved them back. And that was the result of this. And so the other thing is Mike for Dak Prescott, to say after the game that, hey, look, I gave the ball to my center. That's how we're coached, not to the umpire. I mean, you got to be looking for an official, not your center. And Mike McCarthy, in my opinion, has to in this offseason, when they redrill that play and what to do in end of half, end of game situations, you got to give the ball to the umpire. 
look for the nearest official. And I know the Cowboys have made it clear they're not considering making a change at head coach. That's their prerogative. That's one of the benefits of being an oligarch owner who can decide what you want to do when it comes to who your coach is going to be. But the fact that they didn't already have that figured out and the apparent reality, Peter, that, you know, when they practice that play, they probably don't have somebody simulating the role of umpire, the most important person on the field to get in position and spot the ball, you know, I've said several times this week, I've come to the conclusion after 20 years of doing this, there's a handful of great coaches and then there's everybody else. And the great coaches have obsessive attention to detail. And they, the great coaches, you know, if Bill Belichick was going to pin his team's hopes for the season on one play, that play in that moment, you better believe Belichick's telling the umpire before the play, coming out of a timeout, be ready to get on your horse and get down there and spot the ball. Number two, his guys are going to know, don't give the ball to the center, give the ball to the official. And number three, get your ass out of the way so the umpire can get in position to do his job because he's the most important person on the field after this play. Agree with everything you said. And it's like, you know, Mike, over the years, uh, I've seen this two or three times, uh, mostly when Bill Parcells was the coach. I've seen coaches work on weird plays and weird situations in games. One time I was uh, writing for Sports Illustrated when Parcells took over the Cowboys. They're at training camp at the Alamo Dome and they're inside and Parcells spends a 15-minute period on what he calls these weird situations. And one of them was your punter when late in the game or late in the half when you're trying to burn time run around until you're going to get tackled and then throw the ball out of the back of the end zone. In other words, take the safety. The most important thing is burning as much time off the clock as you can. So those are the kind of things that I think smart coaches do. And I think Mike McCarthy, this coming off season, has to work on penalties first and foremost. And then he's got to work on weird situations. It's the ultimate Bill Belichick approach to the game, understanding the rules to the letter and coming up with a plan for exploiting those rules in your team's favor under any set of circumstances. We've seen him do crazy things that when we do them, we're thinking, why is he doing that? Oh, 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 now I know why he's doing it. He's taking full advantage of the rules as written to help him win the game. And if you are going to pin your entire season on that play, you better have coached it better, and you better be damn sure your players executed better, and that's where the failure was. And that's why, that's why, setting everything else aside. And that last play has been a great distraction from the fact that the Cowboys got their asses kicked for most of the game by the 49ers and were not able to – perform at the level we'd come to expect all year setting all that aside the mere fact that when the season was on the line it all short-circuited and it exposed that flaw if I owned the Cowboys and Cowboys fans everywhere should be very glad that I don't if I owned the Cowboys I would be engaging in a very careful deliberate review as to whether or not this coach has sufficient attention to detail to provide that difference and we see how razor thin it can be Is this coach capable of providing my team with that razor-thin difference that's going to come to fruition somehow, some way, at some point, and it's going to be the difference between getting my hands on a Super Bowl trophy or watching someone else do it?
Hey, two other quick things about the Cowboys. One, you know, I think everybody acts in in saying, oh, my God, they got screwed with clock, the clock at the end of the game, the officials, blah, 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 blah. Just understand one thing. In an ideal world, that play is going to end with two seconds left on the clock, all right? And the Cowboys then, from the 25-yard line, having four or five wides spread across the field and running like five verticals, as McCarthy said after the game. And, you know, the odds of that resulting in a touchdown, I'm not saying they're they're 4%, but they're sure not 40%. So, you know, it's still very unlikely that they are going to win that game. But the other thing is, Dak Prescott played a C or C-minus football game, period. You know, your franchise quarterback has to be better as a football player for four quarters than Dak Prescott was in that game. Absolutely. And, you know, just like the league was very happy that the Cassius March taunting foul from the Monday night game between the Bears and Steelers provided a great cover for the more egregious error that Tony Correnti made in that game by calling a low block when he never should have in a million years. It's got to be good for the Cowboys to have all this talk about the last play covering up the fact that they had a horrible game and they never should have been in position to even have a chance to win it. Let's take a break. When we return, speaking of horrible games, the wild card weekend ended with a thud for the Arizona Cardinals. Is Cliff Kingsbury safe? Maybe he isn't. We'll break down some conflicting reports that emerged on Thursday afternoon and evening when PFT Live continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, Cliff. Obviously, you guys had the late season slide this year um, following one last year. If you go back in your career... It's kind of been a trend since you started Texas Tech. Is there kind of an overarching reason why you think your teams have struggled in the second half of the seasons throughout? Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't done the, the research on, on that exactly um, back to the Texas Tech years. But, um, you know, the last couple for the reasons we, we haven't been as sharp, and, and that's something i got to continue evaluating. 
figure out um, what we need to do, whether it's practice structure or, or different things of that nature. Because um, we got to be better. This league is about closing strong and building momentum into the playoffs, and unfortunately, we didn't do that. Always big on body language at press conferences. I don't know what was going on with his shirt there. It seemed like he was kind of nervous and shaking below the surface. I, he should be. He should be. Nine years as a head coach from Texas Tech for six years to Arizona for three years. Good to great starts every single season. Collapses every single season. And it sounds like, it sounds like, this is just odd the way it happened yesterday. Kyle Odegaard, who used to work for the team's official website, so presumably knows some people there, reported there was a meeting between Cliff Kingsbury, GM Steve Kahn, owner Michael Bidwell, and it got tense. It got ugly. The S-T hit the fan, according to Odegaard. Then almost immediately in Rappaport of the NFL, which is partially owned and operated by the Arizona Cardinals, reported that no such meeting has happened. Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic chimed in saying, I've also heard no meeting has happened, but I've also heard that Michael Bidwell is very, very upset with the collapse. They were 10-2. and two. They were the best team in football. Then they went 1-5 and five down the stretch and made a one-game exit from the playoffs, losing to a division rival they've beaten in the regular season. Peter? Peter? As I said earlier this week, if Cliff Kingsbury is bringing bananas to the office this week, they better not be green. <laughs> Look, I think one of the things that would be particularly bothersome uh, to the owner of a franchise is to see a guy who on Thanksgiving Day, or let's say November 10th, was a legitimate MVP candidate uh, in Kyler Murray. And probably at midseason this year, a lot of people had him number one uh, in the MVP stakes. But down the stretch of this season, he regressed badly. And and Mike, I I am finding a very, very... I'm finding it very difficult to in any way legitimize what we saw out of Kyler Murray at the end of this game. And I understand Cliff Kingsbury is the, you know, is the lightning rod now and he's had these bad finishes. But Kyler Murray was absolutely awful in this game. And you really have to wonder when you see what Kyler Murray did. And this play in particular is just it's beyond any sort of reason that somebody in a professional football game would make a play like that, would just throw it away like that. So look, all I'm saying is that I think the bigger problem on this team, and there are a lot of problems on this team, but I think the bigger problem on this team is what in the world happened to Kyler Murray down the stretch and what is Cliff Kingsbury's method for making sure that never happens again and to get his game to rise instead of precipitously fall off a cliff. Well, no remember week eight, week eight, they had the <laughs> Thursday night game. Yes. Uh, they had the Thursday night game against the Packers where Kyler Murray suffered the ankle injury on the next to last play of the game. And he missed several games after that. And, and look, whether it was Dak Prescott in his calf, Russell Wilson in his finger, Kyler Murray in his ankle, I think it takes time to get back to 100%. I'd like to think by the time the playoffs roll around, though, for a midseason injury, a guy's going to be closer to 100% than not. 
to only run him two times for the entire game by design or just by the way things unfolded. The fact that his stat line was two rushing attempts for six yards when he's the most dangerous quarterback in the league on his feet running the ball, how do you expect to win the game that way? Look at what Josh Allen did. First drive against the Patriots, a 26-yard run that gets them on their heels and keeps them on their heels about what he could do running the ball the rest of the game. You can't just surrender. You just can't forfeit that aspect of a quarterback's game if you have it. You use it to make it easier to throw the ball. If you make yourself one-dimensional, you're never going to be as successful as you need to be. And, Peter, Sims and I were talking about this earlier in the week. There is a chance he is just too small. I mean, I, so I'm taller than Kyler Murray. Man, not by much, but I'm taller than him. And when I see guys come walking out of the locker room in their full uniforms, I – really? Good luck trying to figure out what you're going to do with those guys chasing you around. They're gigantic. And I, 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 it's, it's unfortunate because I want Kyler Murray to be as great as his skills would suggest he would be. But something's wrong here, and it's either Murray or it's coaching – or it's a little bit of both. But if, if I'm Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, I'm not changing my quarterbacks after only three years. I'll change my coaches and see if there's somebody else who can get more out of Kyler Murray. I guess there'd be two points I would have to what you said. And the one is, you know, the size of the people in front of him had absolutely zero to do with Kyler Murray losing all sense of any poise that a professional athlete should have and just basically throwing a ball up in the air uh indiscriminately foolishly i i, I it just it defies description why he did what he did on that uh the shortest pick six in playoff history and secondly if i had told you before this weekend that two quarterbacks here was going to be their rushing line. Josh Allen and Kyler Murray. One was going to be two rushes for six yards, and one was going to be six rushes for 66 yards. Which would you have, have assigned to, to either player? I, I don't know about you, but I probably would have given Kyler Murray the 66 yards. <laughs> and I still would have been surprised because the Bills like to let Josh Allen run it in the postseason when the – the consequences of an injury are going to be far less extensive than they would be in week two. But, but regardless, if you've got those skills, you've got to use them. You've got to use them. And I, I, there's got to be a story behind the story there. And, and as we move forward, look, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Cliff Kingsbury. It's Michael Bidwell's call. Again, it's the oligarch's privilege. You decide what you want to do with your team, even though hundreds of thousands of people who are fans of that team are hoping you do the right thing. With Murray, who's had three years in the NFL, and Peter, I remember when Murray was in the draft and coming into the NFL, you wrote something in your column about how few games he had lost in his high school and college career. How is he going to deal with the reality that at the NFL level you're going to lose a hell of a lot more games than that? And I say that because he is the extremely rare NFL player who could go play another sport at a high level. And he was a top 10 pick of the Oakland A's. He still shows up from time to time in an Oakland A's hat. He's 24 years old. At what point do you entertain the possibility of saying, it's just, this has run its course for me. I'm going to go play baseball. And he still talks about how he'd like to play baseball. He'd love to play both. But 
when you have a season like this one, when you have an injury that apparently affected him for weeks beyond the moment it happened, and when you have a nationally televised 23.1 million people watching moment like that where you look like a combination of Carson Wentz and Matthew Stafford at his worst and it's a big, ugly mess, how do you not at least, at least at some point, just, just, just run the scenario? What would my life be like if I played baseball instead of football? I, I'm not saying he will. But he is the one in a million, literally, who could grab a bat and go play baseball and play center field for the A's at a high level, and he's still young enough to do it. I just can't help but wonder whether or not he's at least – how can he not at least think about it? The question is, would he ever do it? Uh, I guess I would – I'd think three things. Number one, this sticks in my head when Kyler Murray basically picked – football he talked about his love of football he talked about playing high school football in texas and playing before huge crowds and then in college playing before huge crowds and then in the nfl look if you go to major league baseball and you go and play major league baseball which Uh, Mike, you know, it's no lock that Kyler Murray, I mean, he's certainly not going to walk into baseball and play in the big leagues. You know what? At this point, he'd have to play minor league baseball for whatever, two or three years. I would think at least two, you know, to get ready to play. And then you go and your professional life. And look, I don't know. I guess the Oakland A's might move somewhere. I don't know. But at this point right now, if Kyler Murray played center field for the Oakland A's, he'd be playing with 9,000 people in the stands on a, on a May evening in Oakland uh, with, you know, lousy TV ratings. And even if you get all the way to the World Series, you're, get, you're playing in front of, uh, you know, a good packed house, but your TV ratings are probably 40% even at, at their peak of what they'd be in the NFL. So the fact is, people just don't care about baseball like they care about football. Whether that's a part of what he would think about or his love of the respective games, you know, I don't know, but I just don't think he'd be anywhere near that point right now. Well, it's it's a lot easier to love something when you're good at it. And even though he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, we saw the decline this year. And it at least should prompt a little soul searching as to, you know, one way or the other, fork in the road. Am I all in with football or is there another way? And one of the one of the factors may be, are the Cardinals all in with giving me the contract that I believe I've deserved, even though I've had some bad moments in my three years, because the window is open on that as well. The window is wide open on the Texans to hire a head coach. They interviewed Josh McCown for the second straight year. Last year, they hired David Culley. They fired him after one year for philosophical differences, which still makes absolutely no sense to me. But the only thing that makes less sense is to interview Josh McCown again, who, you know, I I thought they would at least hire him onto David Culley's staff in 2021 and give him some experience or something. Peter, there's a buzz out there that they really want to hire Josh McCown. To the point where, and you may have heard this as well, they want some other team to interview Josh McCown to legitimize the idea of Josh McCown being 
an NFL head coach. That if one of these other teams, these other seven teams looking for a coach would just do us, do, do us a favor, do us a solid, do an interview of Josh McCown, then when we hire him, we can at least say, well, hey, another team considered him too. It's not like we're crazy here. It's not like we're the only ones. That's that's gurgling around NFL grapevine, and uh, it just supports the idea that they really are thinking about doing this. Look, I'll tell you the reason why Josh McCown was not on David Culley's coaching staff. The Texans wanted him on David Culley's coaching staff, likely as the quarterback coach. But McCown got out of football when he did for a very specific reason. I think where he was living with his family was about 170 miles from Houston. He was determined last year uh, to watch his sons play high school football. I believe I'm right in saying that they were on the same high school team last year. But he had an opportunity and he knew about it last year if he wanted to go to the Texans, but he wanted to be a family guy and go through all the Friday night light stuff, which you can't do if you are a professional football coach, because unless you get a private plane and at 2.30 every Friday afternoon, you take that plane back to the little airstrip near your house and then get back on the plane on, uh, on Saturday morning crack of dawn, it's going to be hard for you to experience the full length and breadth and excitement of what your, uh, you know, of what your family is going through. So I think he basically said, this is a family year for me, but there is no question in my mind that he wants to get into coaching and would love to coach in the NFL. So we'll see where it takes him. It really would be amazing if the Texans do it. And there is a desire there, I believe, by Nick Casario, the GM, to be able to micromanage the way he micromanaged David Culley. It's one of the reasons I thought Culley may survive because, you know, if you hire a certain type of coach, like a Brian Flores who's been linked to the job, I don't think Brian Flores is going to take kindly as being micromanaged by the general manager. Uh, whatever his relationship may be with, with Nick Casario, and surely it's not a bad winner. He wouldn't have gotten an interview. But uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting time, to say the least, for the Houston Texans, and we'll see who they ultimately hire. Let's take a break. Who's under the most pressure this weekend? We'll discuss that with some fill-in-the-blank when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. What got into the Giants to be such desperate, profligate spenders? Profligate? Uh, I, 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 I'm concerned that when they re-air this in, in uh, uh, the UK on Sky, that that may be a curse word. In, uh, in, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, it may be in the United States. I'm not quite sure what it means. profligate baby see i'm so used to dealing with sims making words up i'm not prepared for somebody to show up and actually have a more expanded vocabulary i'm dealing with words like peripheral this week from chris sims so uh it's, it's good to have peter here to yes yes peter's here to class up the joint all i can uh, say is mike all i can say is this that my mother god rest her soul she died in 2003, but 
of all the, the of all the appearances I've made on TV to highlight that one right there she would be filled with pride <laughs> because my mother was a vocabulary person she did the crosswords she read the books she is she was a driving force in me being kind of a little bit of a word nerd and i'm not really a word nerd but profligate i just for some reason that's a word that got into my radar when I was like in high school. And I've always thought it was a cool word. But anyway, uh, and, and it was a cool moment last week and it's <laughs> awesome. All right. Time now for today's speed round brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the National Football League. Uh, let's fill in the blank. Let's start with coaches. The coach with the most pressure on him this weekend is who? Uh, I would say the coach with the most pressure on him this weekend uh, is Matt LaFleur. Because I think that after you've come off a bye, you've got players coming back healthy, you're facing a team coming into your place that's pretty beat up. You're the home team. You're supposed to win. Give me Matt LaFleur. I'll say Sean McVay. Because if you don't get past this round, what was it all for? What was, what was the Teddy KGB splashing the pot all in for if you got as far this year as you did last year with Jared Goff? Why would you give up two first-round picks and a third-round pick and Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford? Why would you go get Vaughn Miller and give up draft capital for him? Why would you sign Odell Beckham Jr.? Why are you making all these moves if you're not going to at least be better than you were last year? I feel like there's a ton of pressure on McVay, especially since they've beaten the Bucks twice once in each of the last two regular seasons, more pressure on, on McVay, in my opinion. Player with the most pressure on him, Peter, is who? I would say Jimmy Garoppolo. And not to, you know, overly focus on one game, but look, everybody knows he's not at 100% physically, and it's going to be very difficult for him to go into Green Bay and win. But there's so much on his about his future riding on this game. You know, where's he going to play next year? Is a team going to be willing to give a one to the San Francisco 49ers in a weak quarterback market? Those are the kind of things. But I think Jimmy Garoppolo has a lot on his shoulders. And one of those shoulders, by the way, is quite sore. Yeah, and look, I agree with you. And my, my first choice would be Garoppolo. And, and not to harp on the same game on my end, Matthew Stafford has to be feeling the pressure for very similar reasons. Sean McVay is feeling it. Stafford is the guy. They made the big move last year, fire the cannons and celebrate, and here we go. We're making this huge upgrade at quarterback. If Stafford doesn't take the Rams farther than Jared Goff did, what was it all for? And this is the first time in Stafford's career he's at this level of the postseason. Uh, the pressure is on him. And, and I know they said it was flow of the game that he only threw 17 passes on Monday night. I think part of the plan was to – to protect him from those moments where he can be a little Jimmy Garoppolo-ish. It's going to be important for him to not be that way against one of the greatest quarterbacks, the greatest quarterback, one of the greatest players in any sport of all time on Sunday on NBC. 3 p.m. Eastern coverage begins at 2 p.m. Eastern. The defense most likely to completely dominate this weekend is who, Peter? You know, I would say the one that's got the best opportunity simply because of the situation that they're playing in. And again, Mike, I, I will guarantee you that you won't agree with me on this one, but I feel pretty strongly about it, and that is Green Bay. 
because even though I love what the 49 I love the weapons the 49ers have, I also think that with the Packers defense getting healthier and getting its getting weapons back, I think they've got a good chance to hold the 49ers in the teens. See, I don't think there's any defense that's likely to completely dominate this weekend. Uh, m- maybe the Titans, if the Bengals have just reached the limit on what they're able to do this year, and they get after Joe Burrow early, and you know they're on the road, and and even though he's fearless and he's a babyface killer, and and you know it, 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 flinging it around, and they have Jamar Chase. If if the tight, I, I think the the Titans rested, ready. And the possibility of maybe the Bengals walking into a buzzsaw where they've gotten farther than they should or as far as they're going to get and they build on it next year. I'll say the Titans, but I don't feel strongly that anyone is going to completely dominate. The underdog that I have the most faith in is who, Peter? Uh, I'd say the Rams because I could definitely see the Rams going in there and winning that game. It'd be easy to say the Bills. But I think the Rams right now coming off that Monday night game where they look so good and like such a complete team, I think they got a real chance going into Tampa. Yeah, I, I, I think the Bills would be the other team to put here. Uh, it's only a one and a half point spread. They are going into a very difficult place to play in Arrowhead Stadium. But the you know, point Sims made yesterday that I agree with, the Bills just seem a little hungrier right now. And that hunger may be the difference, that chip on their shoulder, the, the, the lift they've gotten from not just beating their big brothers at ping pong, but, you know, shoving the paddle down big brother's throat and or up uh, elsewhere. That, that, that gives them the confidence, I think, to exercise other demons. And they've got the impetus, even though, you know, they started off with that. What the hell happened against the Steelers? Then they were dominant for four weeks. Then they just kind of. They kind of just bounced around. They coasted. Like, you weren't really quite sure what you were getting from the Bills, and it felt like they weren't able to put it together. And the low watermark came week 13, the Monday night game against the Patriots. But they've been building and building and building since then. I think they're ready. And so I have the most faith in them. Again, they're only one-and-a-half-point underdogs, but they're still underdogs. Let's take a break. When we return, show me something draft for the divisional round weekend. We'll do that next here on Pro Football Talk Live. Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the NFL. There is the playoff bracket as we get closer and closer to Super Bowl 56 to be played in Los Angeles. Still a chance for the second straight year. A team will be hosting the Super Bowl in its home stadium. So it's show me something time, as we always do on Friday. Peter King, you are up. First choice, show me something draft for the uh, most significant playoff weekend of the year. Show me something, Daniel Jones. This is is the postseason. Okay. All right. I got it. I got it. I now am hip to the scene, as Kramer would say. (laughs) Um, Mike, I'll tell you, I'll give you an unlikely show me something to lead off. Show me something Von Miller. You know, the Rams, every GM in the league other than Les Snead said, oh, my God, you paid a two and a three for Von Miller. Oh, my God, that's really overpaying. Well, 
He looked very good in the uh, wild card game in the win, chasing down Kyler Murray for a sack, helping hold him to a low quarterback rating in that game. And now he's not going to have a moving target. He's going to have a stationary target. I think Von Miller is going to have a chance to wreak some havoc in this game. Show me something, Von Miller. Show me why the Los Angeles Rams paid so much for you before the trading deadline. And I love this draft because you can interpret show me something, in my view, different ways. It can be that a guy is kind of downtrodden and under pressure and there's a desperation, or it can be, hey, just put on a show. I'm looking forward to seeing what this person can do. My, my first pick will fall into the former category, show me something, Jimmy Garoppolo. Show me something different than what we've seen from you in those key moments when we know it's coming. We just know. We don't know how. We don't know specifically when, but we develop that sinking feeling. I was developing that sinking feeling when he threw the interception on Sunday against the Cowboys when it was 23-10, to 10 and boom, it's 23-17. to 17. So show me, Jimmy Garoppolo, that the 49ers really do have a dilemma for 2022, that they really don't know whether to keep you, trade you, hand the baton to Trey Lance, who I frankly think if – he had shown them something this year. He'd be starting this game. But show me something, Jimmy G, and make the offseason even more intriguing for the San Francisco 49ers. Show me something, Leonard Fournette. The Bucks have been waiting for Fournette to come back for over a month. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Bruce Arians, you know, when I was talking to him about Fournette, he wasn't at all sure that Fournette was going to be able to make it back uh, in this postseason. And I think they are pleasantly uh, looking forward to the impact and the contributions that Fournette could make in this game. We have to now learn, we're going to learn during this game, what the hamstring of Leonard Fournette is going to allow him to do. I believe he is a vital piece to the puzzle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this game. Show me something, Leonard Fournette. Show me your value to the Super Bowl champions. And the problem with that hamstring, it just needs time. And if and you think you're fine, you think you're ready, and then you push it at full speed and you realize you're not. And they thought he was going to be back last week. Whoever's playing running back, though, for the Buccaneers needs to needs to really step up. They, they have to take some of the heat off of Tom Brady. Next one for me, I'm going to go Derrick Henry. And this is more of a positive. We've missed you, Derrick Henry. Greatest running back in the NFL. Without question, I know Jonathan Taylor gets the accolades and he stayed healthy and there's something to be said for staying healthy if you're a running back, but Derrick Henry has had a lot of wear and tear dating back to Alabama. He, he had an injury. He had surgery. Now he's back. Let's see what he can do. I can't wait to see what he does. I'm looking forward to one of those 67-yard runs to Pater where he gets through the line of scrimmage, makes it past the second level, and then he's gone, and no one has a chance. No one has an angle, and that's it. And it's, you know, a back-breaking type of a play. I, I'm looking forward to seeing Derrick Henry do that. I've missed that. And if he can do that, if he can reestablish that way, the Titans really are a Super Bowl contender. Show me something, Joe Burrow. I think it's easy to sit here and say the old cliche, well, Bengals are playing with house money. They have their first playoff win in 31 years. Everyone is going to look at the Bengals right now and say, okay, give them a nod. You guys, you're back. You accomplished something. 
you're back to the days of Weich and Collinsworth and Esiason and Munoz, okay? You're, you're good again. We trust you. You're a tough out for people. You went 4-0 and against the Steelers and Ravens. Great year. Congratulations. Pat on the back. Go home. Be proud of yourselves. Joe Burrow says, blank that. I am going in. I am going to Nashville. And I am going to lead us to a win in this game. Just watch. You think we've accomplished enough? I don't think so. We've never accomplished enough until we're holding the Lombardi. Show me something, Joe Burrow. And, you know, it's funny. I think back to that first Super Bowl the Bengals went to 40 years ago. They came up against the 49ers and Joe Montana. And that's the one comparison that I'll make between Burrow and Montana. Burrow just doesn't care. Burrow is here to disrupt. Burrow is here to change narratives. And you think about how – you know, and I know we're 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 older, and a lot of the kids out there don't remember how it was. We had just come out of a decade where it was Steelers, Cowboys, Raiders, Steelers, Cowboys, Raiders, Steelers, Cowboys, Raiders, and then Joe Montana shows up, and the 49ers had been horrible, and all of a sudden, boom, here they are, and they never look back. And I feel like that's what the Bengals could be on the brink of. So I agree with you on that one because Burrow doesn't know. It's not supposed to be like this for him this early in his career. Last one for me, I, I, I got to go back to the Rams game. And for a similar reason as I have with Derrick Henry, Cam Akers. Show me something, Cam Akers. The Rams desperately need him to have a big game to take pressure off of Matthew Stafford, to not put Stafford in a situation where he feels like he has to do too much, he's throwing too much, and he possibly throws a pick six that ends up creating a, a margin that the Rams can't overcome. Cam Akers, th- this is a, a blessing. This is unexpected. Talk about house money. They never expected Cam Akers to be back, and this is the perfect time for Cam Akers to show up and be the guy that they hoped he'd be all year long. So show me something, Cam Akers. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Better late than never, I suppose. Dennis Allen, who's done a great job the past several years running the Saints defense, finally getting an interview. I'm not saying he should be hired. I'm just saying, why is this guy getting an interview? The Bears reportedly will interview Dennis Allen for head coach. They don't have a GM yet, though. Concurrent searches with the Giants, the Bears, and the Vikings for GM and head coach. But I think all three of those teams will wait to hire a GM before they make the final decision on coach. Peter, this really has been kind of a different hiring cycle. We're almost two weeks in. We've got eight coaching jobs, three general manager jobs, and zero hires. Maybe they're figuring out that there's, there's value in being patient. There's value in not rushing to grab the first guy you see, but really taking your time to make the right decision. So, Mike, right now we are 12 days after the end of the regular season. And never have there been so many openings this late after the end of the regular season. In fact, two weeks after the end of the regular season, of the last 63 NFL coach openings, 53 had been filled. Wow. So think about that. And and just think about how different it is this year. And I think much better. You see John Mara coming out and saying, hey, listen, we've rushed too much in the past. He has. 
why in the world, both for GM and coach, why in the world do you hire Dave Gettleman, uh, you know, in December? Nobody's hiring Dave Gettleman in the NFL. Why rush into that? You hire Joe Judge after five days uh, after the end of the regular season. It's silly. And so what's happening now, I think, is very good. And what's happening now, if you look at one game this weekend, look no further than the first game. Cincinnati at Tennessee. You know, right now you look at that. Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Titans, my NFL coach of the year this year, was hired 20 days after the end of the regular season in 2018. And in 2019, Zach Taylor made an agreement with the Bengals 21 days after the end of the regular season. He, of course, had to wait till after the Super Bowl because he was on the Rams coaching staff that year. The point is, be patient. Patience works in coaching searches. There is no magic candidate this year, or in my opinion, any year. The real test is going to be when the first domino falls, will there be a rush by others? Will they feel like, hey, you know, I kind of like that guy and he's already spoken for. I better get my next guy. I better get mine done before I lose my opportunity. That That's a very real dynamic at some point. It's It's the parents fighting for the last of whatever the hot toy is in the Christmas season. And uh, you, you may get yourself into a bit of a bidding war. Remember last time around for the Giants, they didn't want to pay Matt Rule what David Tepper was going to pay Matt Rule, and maybe they should be happy that that worked out that way. But regardless, can they can they remain calm once the jobs start to get filled? That's what I'm looking forward to seeing, Peter. Yeah, and the one last thing I would say is every single coach who's involved in these searches, there's no superstar, Mike. That's it. See you later. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.